Pop Shield, a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present. I'm Gabe, and I'm joined as always by Dan. Hello. And Derek. Hello. After conquering the underground with three bona fide classics, as well as several amazing EPs, Modest Mouse finally broke into the mainstream with their fourth studio album, Good News for People Who Love Bad News, from 2004, mostly on the strength of lead single and unlikely top 40 hit, Float On. Underground artists had obviously crossed over before, but to people our age, it was genuinely bizarre to hear such titans of indie on the radio, and in retrospect, this was a major turning point in the development of indie rock, which would soon be absolutely everywhere. As such, Modest Mouse was one of the first bands from this generation of indie to face accusations of, quote, selling out. And this album, and especially Float On, have had a pretty complicated legacy ever since, even though the idea of selling out has all but vanished in the last few years. So we've decided it's high time to reassess good news, discuss its place in the band's career, and maybe rethink the idea of selling out altogether. Before we get into it, I want to set the scene a little bit. Good News wasn't released until April 6th, but Float On dropped on February 14th, 2004. And on that date, the number one song in the country was The Way You Move by Outkast. Remember that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great song. Uh, The number one movie was Barbershop 2, Back in Business. I'm sure we all remember that one. (laughs) I loved the first Barbershop when I was a kid, to be completely honest. Well, um... George W. Bush obviously was president, and we were about one year into the Iraq War. So, what are your guys' memories of uh, of that time, two thousand four? Two thousand four, rather. Do you remember Float On coming out? And what are your kind of personal histories with this album? I guess in two thousand four, I would have been in like ninth grade or tenth grade. Yeah, tenth grade. We were in ninth grade. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I remember like Float On being big on the radio, but like honestly, I, I. wasn't super into Modest Mouse or anything yet, you know, so it was sort of my first experience. I remember thinking it was like, uh, you know, a bit of a banger. And I, you know, I bought the record when it came out and stuff. And then I I got into Modest Mouse, like, uh, on the back of that. Well, for me, I have very vivid memories of PE class um, in ninth grade. I was very much into, like, Nirvana at the time. Um, uh-huh. I was definitely like that headphone wearing kid who, you know, was just keeping to himself or whatever, listening to music. But there were, there were kids talking about, uh, Modest Mouse, one person in particular who was like sort of calling them out as being sellouts. It's so weird. Cause it <laughs> felt like all of what we now talk about is like emo and, you know, society, all the things that were, that were culturally happening we're all yeah. happening in this like microcosm in this little like ninth grade PE class. And, um, it's true. <laughs> and he was, you know, he was just going on and on about it. I didn't know anything about modest mouse really at all. And of course I, you know, I started to hear about float on and I, I actually think I probably saw the music video if I recall. Um, cause that was still mm-hmm. a time where like music videos were still yeah. <laughs> watchable, I guess. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I think I liked it, but I, I just never really, you know, got into it. So I wasn't really on either side of the sellout argument for a while. Um, Uh and I later, later on did become a fairly big fan of, of Modest Mouse. I did like this record. And of course I ended up loving the moon in Antarctica, um, much more. And then, you know, we'll talk about kind of what happens after uh, good news, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, this was like a really personal album. It was like, 
you know, I had this sort of a weird trajectory where I was buying CDs when I was young and then I discovered like file sharing and was fully into that and basically got into Modest Mouse like on a song by song basis in that way. Probably downloaded a couple songs that weren't actually Modest Mouse without knowing it, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, and then at some point around the time I entered high school, my mom had read too many reports about how evil file sharing was. So she, you know refused to let me use it anymore so i switched back to cds and i feel like one of the first cds i bought was this album good news and so it was like a big deal for me because it was like the first time in a while that i was just listening to one album over and over again and i grew like very very attached to it um in my memory i don't know how, how this can be right but um it wasn't until like later that everybody was talking about float on or something i guess you know sometimes like singles come out and they take a while to gather steam you know but i remember feeling like why is everybody suddenly talking about this old song you know um but i from then you know from there i went into like fully purchasing all of their albums and everything became like a massive fan but it almost feels like this even though I, I liked Modest Mouse a lot, this was like the album that made me love Modest Mouse. And they were truly my favorite band for, for a period there. Um, was this album, you know, like one of your favorites back then? Or was it kind of like a, I mean, how, how did you feel about it? I mean, I got into them from this album, like I said. So, I mean, you know, at that time, it was obviously my favorite of theirs. But I, I think as soon as I got like into, uh, uh, this is a long drive, that, that like instantly became my favorite. And I think, uh, probably still is to this day of theirs um so th- yeah this one was never like I-, I always like really enjoyed it but really like from this a long drive to good news sort of was just like a perfect uh you know discography at, at that age for me and stuff you know it, it was like at That's any true. moment maybe you know one of those could be my favorite you know sort of just the one i was into at that at that time um but yeah I-, I think this is a long drive was always my you know actual favorite yeah I think I, I I recall loving this album and listening to it quite a bit. Um, I cannot remember whether I owned the CD or not. I feel like I did. Um, and I felt like I spent a lot of time with this record alone before actually venturing back into like the, their, the rest yeah. of their catalog. Um, but, you know, it just, it just had this, you know, and kind of looking at it from afar now, it has this sort of, like moment in time kind of history you know what i mean where it it just it's always going to remind me of this particular time of my life you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. um so it's hard for me to like listen to it and remember specifically why i liked it other than just like kind of thinking about what was I doing at the time? What, what other music was I listening to? You know what I mean? Like, no, I, it, yeah, it, I, I'm it glad you said that. I, I was thinking like when, cause I hadn't listened to this record in God knows, you know how long. And I was listening to, it, I was like, is this what people, you know, like our, our parents feel like when they hear the Rolling Stones, you know, or so, you know, like, cause like it was the same way, you know, I was thinking like, Oh fuck. I remember like in high school, this was like, uh, you know, we were always riding around listening to this record, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. it had that like sort of feel. I like really felt like, you know, this is what boomers must feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is this, it, is this what the Nirvana people who were there yeah, when yeah, Smells Like Teen too, Spirit yeah. blew up? Is this, you know, we're, we're ninth graders at, in 1991 thinking the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I want, I want to return to all this reflection. But first, I want to do like a proper re-review of this album. Um, I want to start, as usual, 
by trying to describe the sound of this record. I mean, overall, how would you describe what this record sounds like? I mean, it's hard to like. This is what like early two thousands like indie rock sort of sounded like. It, it it's got like um you know still sort of like a uh, I don't want to say amateur because that that implies like a, you know a badness or something, but but like a like a garage feel, you know, like almost something you could have made at home. But obviously, like you know, they're they're on a major label by this point, and so there's like some money behind it. So there's like there's a sheen uh, around it, but it's still, you know, it's not like, um, you know, it doesn't sound like U2 or, or something, you know, something like that polished. Um, and then... I'm, I'm kind of surprised that you would say that, honestly, because I, I think of it as like, a sudden, like just sounding like this huge jump forward in musicianship, like as if they hired, you know, like Nashville's best studio musicians to play, <laughs> you know, like stand-up bass and, you know, the violin and the cellos and everything. It's got like like almost like a very traditional um traditional arrangements and to me it sounds almost like i can't believe this is the kind of amateur you know punky band that they used to be you know what i mean yeah i mean obviously they they like extended the lineup uh to uh five people for this record and you know there's some the dirty dozen brass band like plays but you know horns on a devil's work day and stuff but i mean i i feel like i i didn't i I never felt like it's like oh now you know they're they're the best musicians ever where they weren't before like i mean it's obviously like a a bit of a a a jump forward but i don't think it's like that huge of a uh sonic leap from um uh, moon in antarctica or anything Hmm. I mean, I just would never use amateur to describe this. What do you think about that, Darren? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they they are, you know, the kind of garage band that like grows up and gets very sophisticated in their sound. You know, um, like there, it's like very obvious when they're using like effects. You know what I mean? So like that that to me is like a garage band kind of vibe when like. Uh, the opening of like ocean breathe salty you know what i mean that the way the the guitar is is affected it's like a single effect pedal yeah exactly you know what i mean um and to me that has the sound of like a a garage band but then they sort of expand on that sound by you know i think creating you know adding more layers and everything but still feeling very much like a you know a rock band or an indie rock band but i get what you're saying gabe like it's you know it's a it's a step above, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, like go ahead. Even even Moon in Antarctica, I think, is like more like rough shot and it just sounds like you know, it sounds like a band that's been let into a major label studio for the first time and is a little bit like, damn, that effect sounds cool, or like we've never had access <laughs> to that before. And they're like doing a lot of cool shit like that. And you know, this one, when I hear like the, you know, the world at large you mentioned, like by the end, there's like lush strings and timpani. Up in that bitch, like, <laughs> you know, at the end of uh, Blame It on the Titans, there's, like, just this absolutely elegant, like, little piano solo. The cello is, like, kind of, you know, it's just... I mean, that, that's what I was saying, though. Like, they, they sound... Like, like I, I think Darren is understanding me uh, more. Like, it's, it, it you know, it, it is this, like, garage band, like, at heart, but they, they've... They've the got the backing, yeah. Now. They've got this backing right. now, so like, yeah, they can put temp. You know, th- there's probably a timpani in the in the studio, and I'm I'm sure you know whoever played it, like you know, figured it out or whatever. You know, it's not like they got I, in a see, uh, special I just feel temp- like it's, timpani guy. 
I feel like they did. And I feel like... Well, they didn't. I'm looking at the uh, <laughs> personnel right now. It sounds like they did to me. And it's like, you, I just contrast, like, blame it on the Tetons with Jesus Christ was an only child from Lonesome Crowded West, where that sounds like they knew somebody who could play fiddle, you know? Whereas the violin solo on Blame It on the Tetons sounds like absolutely professional. But I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on that. Um, in- but do, but do, you, do you at least, are you, would you at least say like there's very polished on this record as opposed to basically everything that came before it? Yeah, I think the okay. production is so, so polished. And the, you know, just instrumentation is like, traditional in a way that i don't like they have never been i think because every song is kind of just you know it's just like a bass drum you know guitar it's like the you know the the piano is played like a piano you know it's just never like really it's just sort of sounds like a professional outfit or something um you know not that that's a bad thing i just i'm always shocked at like how clean and Mm -hmm. and you know just professional the sounds um but in continuing to describe the sound I, i have sort of a theory we did this with um with the Neutral Milk Hotel record on Avery Island, but I feel like this album also sort of, maybe you'll disagree, works as like there are three song types on this album. So one is kind of like the, I don't know, like the jaunty, like indie dance disco thing that you hear on Float On. You know, there's a lot of like really funky Mm -hmm. kind of slinky bass lines and stuff with kind of the, you know, the high like uh, Nile Rodgers kind of guitars and stuff. Um, there's a couple of those like Float On or like The View or even um, One Chance at, at points. And then you've got like these kind of somber, almost almost like country-ish um, songs with like the stand-up bass and everything and like the acoustic guitars, you know, like Bukowski or Blame It on the Tetons. Um, the Good Times Are Killing Me. Then you've got like the Tom Waits junkyard songs where he's like screaming his head off. And yeah. those are kind of peppered in for good measure, like dance hall, bear me with it. Um, you know, sat in a coffin is kind of like that. The devil's work day, obviously. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that that's definitely like a, a valid point. Um, yeah. Like, like there, there's definitely like these, this sort of three different categories that you could easily, you know, put all these in. Um, yeah, I agree with it. But they almost feel like they're written in that vein, like, all right, we're, this is kind of the direction we're going in for yeah. this song. It's going to be, it's going to fit this template or this kind of formatting. And I don't know, Gabe, if you're kind of hinting at like that being a sort of a negative, because when you go back to like the moon in Antarctica, even though, you know, the sound is recognizable, it's not like they just completely shifted away. There's just something very different about the structure of those songs in the in that album that it, it felt more yeah. organic. It felt more like let's just take a chance and you know not have like this uh, you know, really expensive producer come in and say no guys you know we should just tame it here we should we should dial it back there and just stick <clears throat> to like you know achieving whatever theme because like the songs on this record some of them. You, are they're just the way you described i'm thinking of some of the ones like uh blame it on the tetons right like like we want more emotion like what can we do to add pour more emotion into this song you know what i mean and i'm not trying to say that it's like not like disingenuous or whatever but just disingenuous sorry um but something that didn't, didn't feels just calculated yeah yeah it's yeah it sounds like somebody's giving some direction as to like yeah 
this is what I, you should I, should go for I've if seen, you want to make a hit or something you know i've seen people suggest this that they they feel like the the label's hand in some of the decisions here yeah. i think it's equally possible that it's the band like making decisions about um approachability and yeah maybe being more accessible which we can talk about later if that's a good or a bad thing but you know i do think that the song structures are quite traditional as well as the arrangements here and i was listening to moon in antarctica just before we were recording actually and i was you know kind of like surprised to remember that basically no song is like verse chorus verse right you know, it's just they're just mm-hmm. they go in strange directions or do whatever the hell sometimes it's just the same thing the whole time sometimes it like you know it changes radically over the course of the song um what do you think dan I just think it's a it's a little uh, I I don't think you can like fully uh, compare it with Moon in Antarctica because Moon in Antarctica is sort of the you know experimental record of theirs. I I don't think it really sounds too much like Lonesome Crowd of West or or this is a long drive, uh, you know, as much as it sounds like good news. Uh, you know, it's just sort of like their quote unquote weird kind of record. But but I do agree with like what what you guys are saying. Like it, it the the categories and and some other like sort of choices in this do feel a little calculated maybe they were you know the label trying something maybe it was just the band trying to uh you know make uh make it cohesive like sort of like moon in antarctica is i think and mm-hmm. uh, you know like like all the, the little in- interludes and stuff like I, like horn intro it, it's literally just like a copy and paste of the first nine seconds of devil's workday um it's really unnecessary that interlude like milo um uh, you know well, bear, uh but the, the label you know, was like we need sort of we need an intro guys we need something <laughs> for an intro yeah yeah i don't know if it's the label or the band just like that that's the easy sort of way to make things like flow or, yeah, or whatever feel a little you know? more cohesive than it actually is when it's, it's really just a, a batch of songs you yeah. know um and maybe people just feel that like a disappointment about that because you know, the last two Modest Mouse albums had had such like lofty ambitions. Actually, the last three had had such lofty ambitions in like a conceptual way. Um, I do want to ask, I was going to ask later, but might as well get to it. You know, what is up with the interludes? Because it's like basically the intro and Dig Your Grave um, sort of hint at uh, the Devil's Work Day. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there there it's the horns that's from that track, and then it's like the kind of whatever that twangy like ukulele sounding thing is. Um and it's like why I just don't really understand. It just sounds like a little tacked on, like you're saying, Dan, because what about the devil's workday makes it a necessary centerpiece of this album? You know what I mean? When you do that, yeah, like, like hint I, at I a song or you... reprise it, it makes you feel like Oh, this is the key to unlocking right, this, this the whole really album. Matters, right? Like, but, honestly, but I don't think I, that song I, really matters. I could see it if it was like hinting towards float on, and I think the world at large, right before it, like sort of, you know, it even says like, you know, while well, float on, you know, it, it says the words float on and stuff. So, like, yeah, I could see like that. That song is like clearly the, yeah. the single. And I will know, say that interlude basically just plays like an intro to blame it on the Tians. It's yeah. kind of like the same instruments, like just kind of you know sounding beautiful or whatever. But yeah, go on. But but yeah, like you're right. Like why why do we have like so so many sort of hints towards Devil's Workday, which is like a fun song and uh, like it, it's great live and stuff. But like you know, is it the best song on this record? Is it the, like the most important song on this record? Right. No, I don't think so. You know, like if Moon and Antarctica all. had little 
if Moon Antarctica had like little hints of stars or projectors running throughout it, I would totally get that. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Oh, I see. Because it's like the big, it's like really. But like if it had little hints of like wild pack of family dogs, you'd be like, <laughs> yeah, that would be really odd. Be like right? that's a cool, that's um, a cool song, but yeah, odd. Yeah, yeah. Why are you doing that? Yeah. So I find that strange. And I do find that a little bit like let's make this batch of songs more cohesive than they actually are. Um, if we try to break it down a little bit, let's while we're on Devil's Workday, what do you guys make of those tracks that are like? the wilder, more explosive Tom Waitsy, like, you know, Isaac Brock's classic, like just destroying his voice thing. Um, you know, I was talking about how polished the production is and I find them kind of like, they're almost odd because modest mouse, something I I love about their early work is that they can just like explode at any second. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And this sounds so like reined in, Maybe it's just how clean and polished the production is, but it's not like Bury Me With It explodes. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it's, like it, it's much more of like a controlled explode. You know, it, it's a calculated explosion. You sort of can feel the, you know, plays, you know, sort of thing. You can like sort of feel it coming. It's not like, you know, at, completely out of the blue or anything. So I, I do agree with you. I, I like those songs a lot. Like Satin in a Coffin is, is great. You know, it sort of does that a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean... You know, bury me with it, a dance hall, uh, you know, like it's a little reined in. But again, like maybe, you know, if the band was trying to be like a little more accessible and stuff, like it is sort of like an accessible, like a noise rock kind of song, yeah, you it know, could be. Yeah. kind of thing. So. It, it, just, it feels like some of those songs are fighting against the production a little bit. And, you know, just as an anecdote, when I the first time, actually the only time I saw Modest Mouse perform um, they played dance hall, which is a song I never liked, and it just fucking slapped well, like yeah. it, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. tore the roof off the place. And it's like now I like the song um, after having heard the live version because it sounds so weak and like you know flaccid on on record. Do you agree with any of this, Darren? Well, I mean, I feel like dance hall is one of those songs that's like deliberately designed with a crowd in mind. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is what the people are going to jump to this song and like that's it you know what i mean like and that's great that you would think about a song like that but to me i feel like it's kind of one-dimensional when that's the only you know the goal anyway but um i mean i agree i agree with everything that you guys are saying i feel like this is the work of you know and i'm not sure who produced this dan you probably know but it just sounds like somebody wanted to take the modest mouse sound from the, the previous three albums and this is just part of the polishing effort, you know, like we still maintain Isaac, you know, with his screaming and those kind of songs and everything, but we tame it down, we package it nicely so that it can be easily consumed by the mainstream. I mean, we have to get into this at some point, but like, why did it, why was it this album that suddenly exploded, you know, and it wasn't well, just float yeah, on, like people like the other songs mm-hmm. too. And there's a reason for that, you know? I, I Yeah. I want to return to, I want to save save most of that um because i think there's a lot to dig into for sure um but i mean do you guys agree with me that when i think of this album i think of a very mellow modest mouse which is really weird when there are so many songs that are not mellow at all do you also feel that way yeah because i mean you're right there i i do feel that way you know if you if you ask me i yeah i i, I do feel that way but i and i think it's because like it, it, you know, it ends, or I mean, it starts like pretty, pretty mellow, and then it it ends pretty mellow again. You know, all these uh, sort of explosive songs are, are are kind of packed in the middle, and I feel like you almost like forget. You know, I mean, satin satin in a coffin, sort of the last one of those like you know noisy kind of tracks, and then you've got. Uh, 
five more thing you know four if you don't count the uh, interlude like of just sort of like slow you know blaming on the tetans black cadillacs one chance good times Kill Me. like all those songs sort of have the same like you know sort of sort of feel to it you know probably like similar uh you know bpms and stuff like and i think like that you know kind of breaks it up for you and and makes you feel like the overall mood was mellow and i think like really there are just sort of more mellow songs like when it comes down to it as well yeah yeah so in turning to the mellow songs i think that i actually have to add a qualifier which is that i sort of noticed in listening to this album a lot over the last two weeks that there's a little bit of a trick that they employ a lot here um and maybe it's actually spreads more into modest mouse's uh, discography and i just haven't thought about it but a lot of the songs that are explosive, they like do this trick where the chorus is like very mellow. Or you think about like how yeah. somber the chorus of Float On actually is. It's the verse that's the <laughs> hookiest part. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, um, on almost every song, they like kind of do this like mellow out, which even when it's a little bit silly, um, like Bear Me With It or something, it just adds like this gra- gravitas to the thing. It makes it feel like weightier. Um, you know, you know, not that it actually is, but just gives a gives a necessary weight to it. Um, but there are songs that are just fully mellow. You know, I mentioned like "Blame It on the Tetans." I mentioned uh, Bukowski. Um, "World at Large" is quite mellow. Um, what do you guys make of these songs? I mean, I like the mellow songs. Um, I I think that those that's sort of like a thing that that's kind of like. That, that that that's the thing on this record that I think that feels like the most of a holdover from like Moon in Antarctica because Moon in Antarctica yeah, like is yeah. sort of like a calm, uh, you know, like it has some very mellow, yeah. I mean, type songs. yeah, it, it's sort of the least explosive uh, up until that point, like of of Modest Mouse, and so I think like those songs sort of like fit the direction they like uh, pivoted to, uh, but before this album. And I want to add, like, if you listen to Modest Mouse has this very, you know, back in these days, I was like, when I got into a song, I would learn it on the guitar. You know what I mean? You guys remember those, those days. Um, Guitar tabs, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And Modest Mouse has like a very strange, like chord thing that they do. And you hear it on like Blame It on the Tetans, for example, but you hear it a lot uh, on these more somber songs where, you know, like the, like Blame It on the Tetans sounds like trailer trash, that same like sort of intro Mm -hmm. because those chords are like very distinctive the way he plays them. Um, so it also feels like a little bit of a throwback, but like in panoramic widescreen with the nice production. Um, what do you make of those songs, Darren? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, like I mentioned before this album, I just can't disassociate my ninth grade or, you know, just whatever early high school self from this record. And so, you know, early high school involved a lot of just emotions right and just kind of growing up and teenage drama and all that sort of stuff so like these mellow songs to me still feel like they're the best songs or among the best songs on the record like Mm -hmm. that sort of modest mouse kind of always has represented like a lot of emotion and you know personal feelings and stuff like from the moon in antarctica and i feel like the moments on this record that kind of remind me of that are still among my favorite moments. And there's like a lot of just gorgeous moments on this record. I mean, I would kind of throw like ocean breathe salty in, in the mellow category, yeah. even though it kind yeah. of mm-hmm. varies a little bit, but it's just, it's such a gorgeous song. And I still consider it like one of the best um, on this record. But yeah, I mean, bottom line is like, I think that these mellow songs, the more kind of emotional songs are the ones that 
I always like gravitate towards when it comes to this album. Yeah, I think we could make a little detour and actually mention the lyrics a little bit here, which really resonated with me at like, you know, 14 yeah. years old or whatever. Um, <laughs> because he's just always like doing these kind of existential musings about like the universe and do people even matter and, you know, stuff like that. And um, especially like the world at large, I just remember like, you know, just reading the lyrics like over and over again because i just thought they were so brilliant like trying to emulate them with my own songs i was attempting to write at that time um, live journal posts i mean yeah the yeah they're perfect for that you know yeah they're great like little one-liners yep. you know yeah. listening now i felt myself like cringing a couple times because sure. he likes to do these things where it's like very deep and poetic and it's sort of like a question about you know do we matter or whatever um and then he'll always like undercut it with this kind of morbid cynicism, like, you know, good thing we're all dead anyway, you know, or something like that. Um, <laughs> did you guys find yourselves like, how did you feel about the lyrics at age 30 or plus? You know, <laughs> God, just the way you put that. Yeah. That makes me feel um, awful. I, um, you know, as, as a 30 plus, um, I'll, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was worried about that because like I said, I, I hadn't listened to this record in, in so long. And I remember it being like sort of a, um, it, it might've been actually past it. It might've been live journal, but you know, I sort of thought of it as like a, a, a record where, where it's got a lot of good stuff for your aim away message, uh, you know, kind of, yeah. kind of thing. And so I was, I was like a little worried that it was going to be like real embarrassing um but I, I thought for the most part it, it wasn't i mean yeah you're right like there there's a couple times i, I think that it, it gets a little uh you know it you're like eh, okay um yeah but i can't i'd like it's honestly like forced I, into a one-liner yeah he gets yeah. he gets really on the nose when he a lot of times when he kind of deals with like god and yeah and stuff mm-hmm. and, and like in like those Bukowski, days, yeah Right, you know, yeah. like if God takes life, he's an Indian giver, like... Yeah, because yeah, well, I, re- well, I remember, like, being... Post, you know? I, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember being, like, young and, uh, like, really liking the song Bukowski, you know, because I was, like, edgy, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, for God, sure. You know, kind of kind kind of, of person. And, in fact, <laughs> at that point, I had never heard of Bukowski, uh, and then I read him because of this, and uh, I, yeah. I'm still yeah. a fan and stuff. But, um, you know, like, I, I just, you know, that was, like, a deep song to me then and now that song is sort of like uh i think a lesser kind of track on here uh lyrically really? at least i mean it's a good it's song a I, for a lot of people i'm saying like the lyrics are sort of like yeah like like darren said actually, that if god takes life he's an indian get like that's something that's that's real deep when you're 14 but. yeah there's a, there's some of that but i was actually like i was expecting it to be cringy but then i was sort of pleasantly surprised reading along um earlier this week because you know, in when I was in high school, what I took away from the song is that he decides, you know, that there's no God or something like that. Um, whereas reading it now, it's like a little there's a little bit more to it where he's kind of like, you know, do I want to live like a totally nihilist life? Like who would want to live like that? Who would want to be such an asshole and like have such a poor outlook on things like i'll be alienated from other people who know how to enjoy things and stuff like mm-hmm. that um i feel like he he starts to like almost get angry and i like how you know he does that like layered voice thing where one's like kind of deep and devilish um it's almost like he's making himself angry thinking about it i mean i thought there was just like a little more to it than my 14 year old mind knew and i think that's true of a lot of the songs i think like float on is actually quite like more poignant than i even realized just the idea of you know, just the, like saying like everything's going to be okay, but in the way he says it, like we'll all float on is, um, 
I don't know. It's like a little like moving for some reason, especially the way it, it mellows out on the chorus. Um, so let's talk about those songs. Um, and I want to, I want to obviously get to float on specifically a little bit, but the, the dance pop type songs, um, you know, I think about float on, you know, ocean breathe salty is a little mellower, but it was, it was a single, it was more of an alternative single. I saw the video on, on fuse a lot. Yeah. Oh, fuse. About yeah. Fuse. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to just have it on in the background. Like, yeah, that was the only one to watch. Couldn't watch MTV. Couldn't watch VH1. Um, so, you know, there's like the view is extremely got that like dance disco thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one chance does it at least in the, uh, in the, uh, verses, I think. Um, and it's weird listening now because I thought of it as kind of like a unique, cool sound, but it does sound very much of its place in time. And it's interesting because it, it like, it doesn't sound any different than, do you remember Franz Ferdinand? Like the yes. Take Me Out yeah. song? It, I always got that song confused with Float On like when I was young, like when it, when they, because they both came out around <laughs> the same time. Right. And you, yeah, I would hear did. like Franz Ferdinand and I'd be like, oh, is this Float On or is it that fucking Franz Ferdinand song? Because I never liked them. <laughs> like I, I remember, like I, I downloaded the record because i you know I, I thought it might be like this and then it was just trash um yeah and i would always get fucking tricked by that song but it, it's weird right that like those songs are they are they're almost a dime a just, dozen like in that time yeah. yeah they are completely like i mean that became so popular at the time like with the rapture and you know arctic monkeys did a lot of, you know that just mm-hmm. was so popular at the time like how do you feel about those songs and that style you know, I, I feel like I look at Float On like as as sort of better than all those. And I th- I don't know if it actually is or if it's just like still, you know, like a the the 16 year old fanboy, you know, Modest Mouse fanboy is like, oh, uh-huh. no, yeah, but that one that one's like way, way above those. But I mean, I listened to Float On and I was like, yeah, fuck, that song is a banger. And I think, you know, if I listen to that Franz Ferdinand song today or MGMT or something. I'm like, eh, yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, that, that time <laughs> period, it was fine. Okay. But again, I can't tell if it's like just clouded judgment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think float on is an excellent song. I thought about it then. And I still think it's a good song. I, you know, can't really find much to gripe about with it. Um, you know, the dance, the, a dance song, like, like dance hall, we kind of already talked about a bit, but I, I don't know. I've never really been a huge fan, even back in the day of songs like this. Um, it was just never, I don't know, it was never the kind of vibe that I, I went to Modest Mouse for. You know what I mean? Moody, teenage Darren was was just not looking <laughs> to dance and jump around. That's you know true. I mean? That's um, true. So I, I kind of always, these were sort of like the least uh, listened to songs on the record, I would say. Aside from Photon. Yeah, they're the ones that I think are just like least interesting now because they just sound so much of their era. Um, and, you know, of course, these are the songs that made this hit. Um, you know, another thing I wanted to mention that I once I thought of it, I like couldn't shake it. And I wonder if you agree um, or will agree. You know, they do this thing a lot in this album where they, they make these even these dancey, funky songs like very elegant and grand. I think the arrangements sound like quite just just quite lush you know and the way they accomplish this a lot of the time is sort of um you know like the high notes on a guitar with like a lot of delays and stuff like that on them you know Mm -hmm. and i basically realized that it's the 
it's the Coldplay trick. Like this is Coldplay's entire career is like big swelling anthemic, you know, hooks with just high guitars, like kind of, you know, like copying the edge from U2 and stuff. Um, and it just made me realize that like, you know, maybe I thought this was kind of cool and unique and indie sounding, but it's not that different from even Coldplay at this time. Yeah, I I can't really agree or disagree. I honestly only know like the Coldplay songs <laughs> that are on the radio. I, I don't know Coldplay well enough. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I don't really know Coldplay well enough either, but like what do you, can you sort of explain like why you think, kind of explain it again, I guess? <laughs> I guess I just feel that some of these songs are like which ones yeah. i guess i mean i think of like the beginning of one chance in particular um but also you know like ocean breathe salty like the way those you know like when it kind of builds up you know and there's like yeah i do agree on that one yeah there's a lot of that where it's like that's the way they make it anthemic and what you want to do when you want to move into bigger venues and you want to be on the radio and stuff you make anthems mm-hmm. and a lot of these songs have that like anthemic you know hold up your lighter kind of quality sure. and they accomplish it the exact same way that Coldplay does and you know I just think that there's an interesting thing happening here which is that at this period you know indie is kind of reaching critical mass it's about to like enter the mainstream and you've got artists like Coldplay that I don't know if you guys remember but they were like considered by some people kind of cool and indie even mm-hmm. though they're very popular you know they're like oh you know why aren't all the you know why aren't other mainstream acts as creative and cool as Coldplay you know we, now we all know that Coldplay sucks but um <laughs> yeah, what kind of music do you listen to man oh you know indie Coldplay you know what I'm saying like yeah yeah yeah, yeah right right, like right. yeah and I just wonder if there's any good reason to think of like float on as different from, you know, the scientist or clocks or whatever the big Coldplay song was. The scientist that same is actually, year. that's a good song. <laughs> you, remember the vi- you remember the video, the walking backwards? I do. I yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I actually agree. I mean, I agree. Like, and I think as a Modest Mouse fan, you struggle, you would, you would struggle with this because obviously deep down you you know, you love those previous records, but like, this is really a sign of like kind of changing into a direction to become more mainstream. Like it's, it's unfortunate because you're sort of saying like indie was right on the doorstep of becoming mainstream, but like what got them through the doorstep was like basically adhering to, you know, similarities yeah. of what was already mainstream. You know what I mean? It's not like the it's moon sort of Antarctica became morphing. mainstream. Yes. Like there was like a shift, you know? Yeah, big big concessions, I think. Yes. Um and I do kind of want to we'll return to that obviously when we get to the selling out stuff. Um before that though, do you have any kind of other songs you want to single out? Anything like you really hate or dislike on this album? There's nothing I like hate, but I will say that that I I think the 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 last little bit drags from from blame it on the tetans to the good times are killing me i think it drags a little bit we've got we've got four and and i I talked about this a little bit earlier but like we kind of got four of these like mostly mellowish tracks back to back to back i think they're all fairly good on their own but it's just sort of bad sequencing um i think one honestly though you know i jotted it down and like Black Cadillacs is kind of trying to be a little bit of a stomper, but it for some reason yeah, it just like, doesn't really fails. And that that's you know? why I said like sort of like for sort of you know because yeah that yeah. one like kind of like you can see it like edging towards it, but I I don't think it reaches it. I, I think one chance is a little 
it's it's probably my least favorite on the record. And yeah, yeah, I might like agree. like if I had to delete one, I, I think that would be the easy uh, the easy choice here. Um, you know, like "Good Times Are Killing Me," I think is like a good outro. You know, kind of song. I, I think it's know. almost a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I was no, gonna that, say like, we have. I don't know why we haven't talked about this song yet, but like this song is <laughs> like amazing. Like, did it's, you know it's, it's like the, it's one of the reasons why I stick around for the whole album? Yeah, I get right, to right. Did you know uh, like the Flaming Lips uh, play on that song? Yeah, yeah I didn't know that yeah, until, yeah. until this week. Like uh, reading about it. Huh. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that that's a good song. But I, I think like the 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 three you know sort of mellow things right before it or. Or if you count the you know that minute interlude thing, like sort of just sort of uh, like steal the impact from it, just just a just a, a touch. Like I'd I'd get rid of one chance. I'd I'd maybe get rid of Black Cadillacs. If not, I'd I'd move it up. Uh, you know, and I'd probably put blame it on the Teton somewhere else too. You know. Yeah, that's not a bad not a bad claim. Um, but uh, yeah, I was gonna single out "Good Times Are Killing Me," which I think is just awesome, and it's weird because it kind of reminds me of the Moon in Moon in Antarctica <laughs> yes, in the sense of yes. it's like the first song on the album that actually is doing some creative things with production and arrangement, where you know it goes into it it, it kind of cutely starts with like a. Um, you know, like a lo-fi kind of throwback uh, where mm-hmm. they're just like singing and they go all off key and stuff. And then it's it just like illustrates the polish of this album when they do this group sing thing. And then the next line is like the polished finished version. And it's like so clean and so like in your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then amazingly, by the end of the song, these like lush strings have come in. And yet the song starts to sort of descend back into lo-fi territory where it just becomes like unmixed, like sort of group vocals, like a bunch of people Mm -hmm. standing in front of a microphone. The drums get like increasingly compressed as the track gets on to where they're kind of like, you know, by the end of the song, like in a weird way, there's like strange parts where there's just these like, like kind of little looping synthy sounds like bendy synth keyboard sounds like and just acoustic guitar and stuff you know what i mean like this is kind of a very inventive song yeah you know the way that you you get a lot of that amun in an article right well and what you're describing is like nothing else on the rest of the record because every mm-hmm. every song right. on this record seems to have a very clear like bookend like it's got a a beginning and an end and like you know exactly where you're going all right here's the chorus here's the bridge this song like so much of the moon in antarctica you get lost in like you don't even you lose track of how many times they've said the good times are killing me you know what i mean and you're just right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. diving into the music and letting it sort of just swell around you and you have no idea when the song's going to end and that's that's some of the stuff that i feel like the moon in antarctica achieves like you had mentioned before where there there aren't just like the simple structured songs where you know where where you're heading and you can predict the right, ending and everything. Right. And that's, that's missing from the rest of this album. That's why I love this song so much. Yeah. Well, maybe it would shine for Dan a little bit more if it didn't follow that kind of slow, slow, uh, yeah. which is, I think it's there. fair. I think it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, before we move on to like sort of bigger topics, um, what are your thoughts on the album as a whole now in 2020? Like did, did your feelings change? How did it go overall um, revisiting? Can we give I mean, it a I, rating, too? Uh, I guess so. Sure, I'll yeah. have to come up with one on the fly. Yeah, yep, come uh, up I, mean, I am, too. Me, too. But speak your piece first. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think, like, obviously, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did, you know, back in the day. Uh, you know, at that point, like, like you said, Gabe, you know, Mouse Mouse at, at some point was probably my favorite band. Um, 
but I, you know, I, and I, I sort of was like, uh, is this going to be like real not fun to listen to? You know, is it just going to be, but I, I sort of enjoyed it like so much so that I, I went back to the rest of the discography before this record and, uh, mm-hmm. and like listened to it multiple times. You know, I sort of got stuck listening to moon in Antarctica a ton, um, and had to keep being like, Oh yeah. Or viewing, uh, <laughs> you know, good news. I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> gotta get back to good news, um, and stuff, you know? So like I, I did sort of like enjoy it. It was, it was kind of like, but did, did you feel like having done that uh that you that it made this album feel weaker you know since you were dabbling in some of the classic year classics no, i i feel like I, I i felt the same you know like like i said i i came to modest mouse like through this record but i i always sort of enjoyed well you know once i once i got into the whole you know discography of the band i always enjoyed those other records a little bit more than i enjoyed this one um and so uh, you know it, it it sort of felt exactly the same am i gonna like continue like is modest mouse back in the rotation you know we're, we're back to it Probably not. It, it, it sort of like felt like, um, you know, you, you saw like a, a, a somebody who who was a, a good friend in like high school that you you lost touch with. You, you, you go out, you know, <laughs> you have, and you're you, like, yeah, that was nice, but never again. Yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> yeah. you know, we're not, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna end up in any hang of your out all the time, you know. I'm not gonna, you know, but yeah, exactly. You know, it, it was it was nice to see him again. I'll, you know, maybe maybe I'll I'll see him in five more years or ten more years, or <laughs> another fifteen um, years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, like it. it I mean, there's a reason, like, I, you know, I, we, we haven't gotten into the, the later things, but, like, I owned this record on vinyl, and I still own it. I um I owned We Were Dead, and I uh, no longer own that one. You know, it, it's like, th- this is, like, sort of something, like, you know, like like I said, I, I feel like, I felt like, a, you know, how I imagine older people feel when they hear something from, from their high school that they probably haven't yeah. heard in a while, you know? And it's like... You know, if, if somebody like that hadn't listened to the Rolling Stones in 20 years and they heard it, they'd probably be like, oh, yeah, I love that. You know, and I would say, like, yeah, I love Mouse Mouth. Like, I, if someone asked me, to, you know, before I re-listened to all this, I would still say I, I, I enjoyed them quite a bit. I mean, I the last time I saw them live was, like, five or six years ago or something. You know, so, like, I, I was still enough to venture out mm. for them, you know? Yeah, what about you, Darren? Yeah, so I guess uh, I didn't really say this at the top, but... You know, I don't really listen to Modest Mouse anymore, specifically this this record, right. you know what I mean? So it's it's really something that didn't exactly grow up with me, I guess I could I, I would say and maybe later on we'll kind of talk about other bands even at, during that same era um or at least that I was listening to there that did kind of grow up and draw differences uh, between the two. But you know, coming back to it, um it was definitely very like nostalgic you know what i mean a lot of a lot of moments on the album that just kind of brought back memories that i had never even really thought about you know what i mean it was just just very strange um Mm -hmm. kind of looking at it from that point of view and then like i had mentioned like thinking all the way like i could it's so vivid the memories that this song seems or float on in particular seem to bring about um when thinking about that time in that era but you know i i definitely enjoyed listening to the record um i didn't hate it kind of similar to you dan i (laughs) started to spend too much time with uh the moon in antarctica and had to like force myself to come back to this and and focus um but yeah it all it it helped sort of frame my feelings and thoughts about this record and everything that we've been discussing regarding you know just how it how it feels like it's so calculated and you know structured and 
you know, just so different from the album, just the album before. And, um, I, you know, I did, we did talk about like some of the slower songs and I, I, I feel like there are some really gorgeous moments on there. Why are they gorgeous? Be- because I'm thinking of like the moon in Antarctica. I'm thinking of the things that I really love oh. from the other records. You know what I mean? Um, so in, in terms of like giving it a score, I guess if I were to, to think about it that way, I don't know. I'm probably somewhere around like a, maybe like a six and a half, seven kind of range. Ooh, wow. Um, it's wow. not something, it's not like I, I would never want to listen to it again. It's not like that, you know, if it was a friend like gave or Dan had described, yeah, maybe I'd hang out with them again in a year. <laughs> okay. I gave it like a year. You know? A new, new rating system here. <laughs> yeah. I forgot yeah. to give, yeah, I forgot to give my score. I, I, I'd give it like, I'd give it like an 8.6, I think. Okay. Wow. That's... Wow. This is, this is some differing, uh, you're into, verging into like must hear territory and Darren's like kind of well out of that. No, I think, I Darren's think a, if you've never heard this, Darren's in fun to nostalgia. Seven is, is, yeah. I mean, seven's like, you could listen to it if you're no, a fan I think of it, a lot of smells. I think if you've never heard this record before, you like, you definitely should, uh, you know, like I, I, I think Bob Smells as a whole, you definitely required. Listening. Well, yeah. I mean, I was always like a big defender of this album. I was very aware, you know, in discussions online that it was, we're going to turn to this now, looked down upon a little bit by like the hardcore Modest Mouse fans um, who saw it as sort of like selling out, sounding more commercial, et cetera, et cetera. And I was always like kind of the person who like had to comment like, no, no, no. You, you got to give it a chance because it's just as brilliant, you know, just as brilliant as Moon in Antarctica, wow. Lonesome Crowd West, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and still, I, still I don't gonna back that up uh, here, Gabe. No, I don't feel that way anymore. Um, you know, honestly, before the, this week, I would have probably said the same thing. But it was like I got a chance, like you guys, to listen to basically all their records a little bit. And um, you know, in comparison, I was like, this is definitely just a little bit more ordinary. The Coldplayness, the Franz Ferdinandness, um, just sort of dates it. Whereas I think that you know their other albums are like singular accomplishments um but at the end of the day it's like the songwriting is still very very strong um on basically every track here and i so i think i would give it something like an eight out of ten um kind of like a your your solid four star type of record kind of just right right in between the two of you um (laughs) but now i want to talk about selling out now we touched on this but did you guys have any, maybe as you became like bigger Modest Mouse fans, did you have any problem with the success of Float On? Did you feel like, oh, why are these like fucking cheerleaders talking about Float On? <laughs> you know, or like, did you have any of that back then? Did you see the band as selling out in any way? You know, I, I, I like couldn't because I heard them from, from Float On. You know? So, so if, <laughs> I, if, if I bitched about it. That never stopped it, me, honestly. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, if, if you found my old live journal something I, I might have but I, I i i honestly do not remember ever bitching about it um because yeah i mean i i came to them from this i i was pretty young when moon and art you know i it, it just if it didn't hit the radio or fuse i uh you know i i just yeah. kind of wouldn't know about it um so yeah i i mean i i never really had like that that problem because i sort of wasn't able to <laughs> Yeah, I mean, similar to me to that. I mean, I, I wasn't a fan at the time, so I I had no reason to be angry. Um, and I listened to the record. I was one of those kids, mainstream kids, like, oh, let me check this out. This is kind of cool. You know what I mean? I'm hip yeah, now exactly, too, right? Yeah. Um, but never, you know, never going too far to be like, this is 
you know, Photon's amazing, right? Because, like, there's too many people that like that song. You just can't, you can't be that, you can't join that crowd, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I had no really real thoughts about, like, the selling out thing. Now, though, like, looking at it from this perspective, I, I, I can kind of see why people would, would accuse them of, like, sort of selling out. And then, like, the record after that, really sort of uh, solidifies <laughs> yeah. it you know what i mean and, okay. I, and, well, and, yeah, we'll, and we'll get into that right yeah yeah i want to talk about their whole career a little bit later on um you know i i had no problem i i, I mentioned i was a big defender of this and i always admired bands that i viewed as sort of um reaching like you know wide audiences without compromising their sound which i viewed this as i'm not sure i still do um but i'll have more to say about that um you know, I do kind of remember, like, I can't remember when I saw Modest Mouse. Johnny Marr was there, so it must have been like 2007 or 2008. Yeah. Oh, was I, the was I there? Long. You went to Wasn't the Hard Rock the, show? Uh, yeah, it was at Hard yeah. Rock, right? Yeah, yeah you were yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I remember, like, I basically shouted for, like, requested float on, and it was meant as a joke, and the people around me laughed because they understood it as a joke that I would request <laughs> such a shitty song, you know, like <laughs> like requesting Creep at a Radiohead concert yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And so I just, I really distinctly remember, like, that was the opinion of the of the song, and I played into it, but deep in my heart, I, I felt like it was a great, great song, and that, you know, nobody should make fun of it. Um, <laughs> but do you guys find it, like, weird that, that, because I'm, I, I, I I guess I could come up with some justification, but like, why was there this reaction to float on and this album when they signed to a major label for moon and Antarctica and, uh, you know, one of the tracks from that album, gravity rides, everything was in a Nissan commercial, which they took a little heat for, but sort of just said, like, he has some funny quote about like, you know, I I love when people who are like, uh, living with their parents or flipping burgers for some asshole. Tell me, you know, how I should make a living or whatever, you know, but, um, is that, did that happen? Sh- did that happen when that album came out? Or I thought that was like after I, Antarctica. I guess I don't know the date, but I, huh. I mean, I believe that it's just clear, right? That they were, they were taking deliberate steps to reach some kind of bigger audience and make some kind of mainstream success story um before this album this is just the one where it worked so you know why was this such a shock why was it such a scandal to people yeah i'm not, i'm 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 not really sure you know it it i don't know <laughs> stumped <laughs> um i i mean if i if i was really into like modest mouse before this record came out I, I I could totally understand why, like, you know, everything that you love about a band like that is everything that the mainstream does not like. It's it's not what the mainstream is looking for. You know what I mean? In and there is there is something to the feeling of like having something so close to you that no one else is in in the know on, right? Or maybe just you and your close friends, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Right, right? And right. now the secret gets out and. 
you've got your cheerleaders and your jocks and all the all the people who are listening to 93 pop radio top 40 radio right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> i'm over here naming an actual yeah radio station. sorry yeah. but like top 40 radio are, are now like tapping into this and they, they don't know the moon antarctica they don't know the lonesome right, crowded right, west right. and so it's like a it's there's a sense of like i can understand why somebody would feel like offended because it's like you don't even you don't even get it you don't get modest mouse it's like someone you know got into your your little secret club yeah and yeah, so and yeah. so i i can i can i can sympathize with that i feel like you know yeah and i feel like moon in antarctica maintains the kind of like intimacy that their their music had which made it feel like a special discovery you know unique to you um and like we were kind of mentioning i think the you know my explanation of the reason why they were only accused of trying to sell out when this happened is that you know, one, it worked, but two, that moon in Antarctica is like completely uncompromising. I really think like there is no real attempt at a single, right? Like at all. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some like very catchy songs, but they're all strange. I mean, it's a concept album for fuck's sake. Like that's not how you make a hit record, you know, unless you're Pink Floyd basically. And it's like, you know what I mean? It just feels like, when we get to good news for people who love bad news, I think people sensed that there was a simplification of the sound, an extra polish on the sound, and a, you know, so- song structures that were very verse, chorus, verse, and, you know, kind of aimed at the radio. Do you, I mean, do you think that's, it's as simple as that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely, like, th- this song, I mean, flowed on, and and I think other parts of this record, like, it definitely are aimed at i don't know success or you know airplay or something whereas the the things before just seemed like the songs they wanted to do the way they wanted to do them yeah it's like they just signed to a major label because they wanted more people to hear them but they didn't they didn't stop like experimenting and pushing themselves exactly yeah so you know back when we were young i want to talk about just this idea of selling out a little bit you know what did what did selling out mean to you back then? You know, I I, I was a Tool fan uh, before I was a Monster Mouse <laughs> fan, and you know, Tool yeah. has that that song uh, "Hooker with a Penis," I, I believe, right. um, about like selling out and how like that's a stupid concept. So I always, you know, I, I was gonna take uh, Tool's side on uh, pretty much anything. So, oh, really? You know, so I always like. <laughs> kind of thought that, that that was a silly concept be, solely because Tool told me, but. Also, I'm sure I would bitch, you know, if if somebody if I saw somebody with a a Nirvana shirt on, I'd be like, "Uh, but right, they don't even right, but right. they don't even know Bleach, the best Nirvana album." <laughs> <Right. laughs> Not much has changed uh, in in 15 years or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it always sort of seemed like just like like kind of what Darren was was talking about earlier and it, it just like it was like somebody getting into your your little club when it when it was a band that you know only you and your friends knew or you know only you had only seen on the internet or something and then now you know the baseball player next to you is listening to it 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 does sort of feel like a, a little bit of a um you know the, but there's no like valid i mean cuz you're describing like that's a personal thing of you know for the I listener think it is. but like i think it just there's is no a actual selling thing. out i i well, I mean, no, I think there is actual selling out like that. Sure. Like, you know, I mean, when somebody, I'm trying to think of like a good example, but, uh, you know, when somebody's 
making Pepsi commercials or something, and they, you know, before were uh, legitimate artists or something. Like, I think that is selling out if you're like, you know, doing something for a bank or you know, so, you know, there's like certain certain <laughs> sort of like uh, th- things that that are the limit. Um, but I think like letting a letting a car commercial use it, eh, you know, whatever. Like, you, you know, they they need money. You know, I mean. Bob Dylan's been in a car commercial, so so I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> well, and how often do like does a song that ends up on a car commercial become a a smash hit or like change the course of a band's career? It's usually like you know a it's a song like "Float On" that like really you know takes off and becomes yeah. It's like the, it. the, I the feel car like, commercial hear, used it you, for well, you hear, you hear you know, like the song the that song "Maps." I think you know it was a really popular song. It was used in commercials and stuff, but like. Uh, you know, I don't think that was it. Was the song that was kind of more popular, and then it just got also added to um, a commercial or like Architecture in Helsinki. They're they're in like uh, one of those Sprint commercials, I think it was, and it's not like <laughs> they suddenly exploded or became something no, popular. Uh, like you know? of of Montreal, like uh, physically, uh, like as a band, are in like uh, I think it's like a T Mobile or Sprint or so. There's some cell phone commercial, like they themselves. It's like <laughs> they they're hanging out backstage. It. Yeah. Yeah, and so, well, I was you know. gonna mention, you know, it, it actually did make me a little queasy back at that time. Uh, the idea of of Montreal selling that one song to um, Outback, Outback yeah. Steakhouse, R- you know, to the point where games. it was like re- yeah, re-recorded to be like, "Let's get out back tonight," you know. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, like it really hurts me. But I think for me, it was always like, I guess I. It it gave me some pause sometimes that kind of like commercializing your art in a literal sense. But when I thought of somebody as like compromising yes. to achieve success, yes. that was something that I really couldn't stand. Right? right, and I think that's what people were accusing Modest Mouse of doing. Um, right, but can, can I add something here? So like, yeah, I totally agree, and I I feel like you know, yes, Moon and Arica was on. A major label but then they came in and like great album guys but if you ever want to you know break into the top 40 if you want to win a grammy here's what you're going to need to do you're going to have to make some comp- you know make adjustments whatever look at yeah. look at a band hey. like radiohead you know what i mean where you have pa- pablo honey you have uh the bends and you can <clears throat> you can see their trajectory where it, where it could have gone it's like that's the that's the era where it, there was a split Either they right. continue right. down this road, they like polish up the bends, make more top forty type of like sound out of that, or they take it in whatever direction they want with like OK Computer, even further, even deeper with Kid A, you know, and, and further and further. Whereas I think Modest Mouse was starting on that with like the Moon in Antarctica, and then shifted into reeling it back. Yes. But is the Radiohead because that that is a good like uh well, analogy you're saying, but yeah. is it is it not the same thing because they start out with the hit, you know, like like nobody knew, you know, knew yeah, Radiohead. I guess it's before. a little bit Creed, unique, you know. But I I feel like you know, Radiohead I always admired and I admired like Nirvana for the same reason, the Beatles, um Led Zeppelin, whatever, like because they succeeded on their own terms, you know. Yes. It was like the 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 double whammy of Radiohead making OK Computer and it being like a massive hit, I thought was just so admirable and cool. And yeah. 
I was thinking about this this week and like another thing I think was really important to me and this is like really a 90s thing kind of is like you you could basically get away with signing to a major label and all that stuff as long as you were like going to use them to do your own thing and succeed on your own terms. And it was even better if you had some kind of like antagonistic relationship with your label. You know what I mean? Like that was the best. Like when, you know, you just sense that like Nirvana would sing about hating their label and you just like to imagine, you know, their faces, the faces of those like suits, you know? And, um, (laughs) even though they were probably like totally fine with it and didn't give a shit because it was selling millions of copies, but like, you know, (laughs) totally like, this was just a huge part of like the brand and it was almost necessary for rock musicians in the nineties to like be seen as hating their label, you know, like Trent Reznor hates their label, you know, like they're constantly fighting and it's like getting on the, you know, like it makes them almost like heroes. Like they got on the inside, they're fighting from within, you know, kind of thing. The Rolling Stone cover with Kurt wearing that like corporate magazine still sucks. Yeah, exactly. But you're still on Rolling Stone. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You're still using them for your, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was like a way to have it both ways, but you could still seem punk while reaching the, the masses. And, you know, that was very cool. But, you know, think about it now. It is a little bit of like a branding thing. You know, I can almost imagine that there were some bands that were like, can we get like leak a story that we're fighting with our label so that oh, people think sure. we're cool, yeah. you know, <laughs> for sure. And so it becomes a little bit maybe lame and like contrived in retrospect. And, you know, I think that this is where people this this new wave of like questioning the idea of selling out it basically doesn't exist anymore but i think this is where it kind of started when like you know people started to think about earlier times when like artists you know basically all the artists we know from the 60s and 70s and stuff i mean these big artists they were they were just mainstream acts they were all signed to major labels you know they did holiday specials and shit like that and it wasn't a big deal then there was like this sort of brief period where um, you know, if Modest Mouse had released a Christmas album, you know, I would have never listened to them again. And <laughs> and now you can release a Christmas album again and it's perfectly fine. You know, I mean, why do you think this change has happened? I think it's because now, like, I, I think almost everybody understands that, like, nobody buys records. Uh, you know, they like, like good news for people who love bad news it, it went platinum like this sold yeah. over a it sold a million and a half copies like the, the one record last year 2019 sold over a million copies and it was taylor swift you know arguably like the most famous right. artist right now you know like whereas at the same time you know she would have sold 15 20 million copies or something <laughs> so right. i think like people understand that like now you sort of just like to to be a a band that makes their living like you sort of like have to find other ways be that you know i mean if a christmas album gets you some more plays i i still kind of would have a problem with a a good band releasing a a christmas record um but you know like now if you hear now if i heard uh you know modest mouse in a car commercial or something I'd be like, yeah, well, you know, got got to make your got to make your cash somewhere, you know, or of Montreal and the, I mean, Outback, I think is still sort of a bad thing, letting it being re-recorded, you know, that's sort of a whole different argument, but you know, just l- lending a song to something now, you know, in a movie or or anything, like I, I mean, there was a time that like if you were in a big Hollywood movie, you know, not a not an indie flick or something like that, right, that would right. even be something. Whereas like now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I feel like people just have come to the realization that like 
that's the only way to make money. And I'm sure there's still people who do bitch about it. Um, just I, I think it's not as vocal anymore. Well, and I think that like even the argument that you just made about indie films and you know major film, you know the the line between the two is so blurred. It's like to the almost to the point where it's almost difficult to tell, you know the difference, the clear difference. I mean, obviously, if you've got like major blockbusters, you've got you can tell the where the money's at. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, some some films that are considered indie films look just as good. I mean, they're they're filmed probably using very similar equipment. You know what I mean? Like like that. It's just so similar. Right. So then moving to the music piece, like I just feel like the the playing field has like leveled out in such a extraordinary way with like the digital era, right? I mean, the access that people have to, you know, mu- equipment to be able to record music and make sounds that are very similar to like what you hear like on the radio just makes the idea of like selling out or having this polished sound and everything just less less of an impact i don't know like it just doesn't and and then also i think the access to it because like part of the selling out thing i feel like especially if we're looking at modest mouse is like people loved float on but did they go out and like buy the the entire record and actually check out the record probably not you know that was just kind of the assumption but i feel like now you know it's it's i'm not and maybe it's just old age or whatever but like you know the ability to be able to just hop on Spotify and like check out a record or check out multiple songs um, rather than just loving one particular song. It's just so different now. You you, you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, I don't think that it's just so easy and getting and getting your song. So like you can get your song on Spotify right next to modest mouse, right next to Radiohead and all these other big, big bands. And it's, it's no longer like, it's this unachievable thing that like, Oh, the only way for people to hear you is you got to get signed to a big label and you got to record an amazing record in Nashville. You know what I mean? Like that's no, exactly. That, I mean, it's gone in 2004, you know, to have your album be in best buy, which is where, you know, I'm sure most, uh, you know, teenagers in America, you know, that lived in, you know, not a big city got their, their albums from, you had to be on a, on a big label, you know, like for right, sure, right. for you, sure. And your t-shirt and you, you know, band shirts, you guys even remember like before hot topic, like there was, you couldn't find a band. Oh, shirt. I used now to go into yeah, Walmart, I used to get Target. this, I used to get this magazine. I can't remember what it, what it was, but it was just, it was, you know, half a, you know, phone book or something. And it was just band shirts, you know, yeah, you had your Led Zeppelin and and you had to like physically like fill out an order form it and send it away, you know? Um, Whereas now that that's that's that, I mean that was yeah, crazy by by two thousand four you know baby no, exactly. onesies of like the Beatles mm-hmm. of Nirvana <clears throat> the little smiley face I mean it's I, I it's, I, it's it's everywhere no exactly I mean Target sells all you know I, I have a John yeah. Coltrane shirt I bought at Target you know it's it's like it's it's crazy <laughs> so yeah. is that selling is, out or you know but but let me ask you I mean the things you're saying like the the playing field has been leveled anybody can make it. Um, it's like, d- does that maybe make selling out less justifiable in a weird way? Like, you don't need a major label to reach the masses. And, but I don't think anybody yeah. like really like looks at going on a major label as selling out anymore because because honestly, like, what is the point of going on a major label? Uh, you can you could have your own song, put it on Spotify, like Darren said. It's it's just as accessible as you know looking up radio i mean me and you both have music on there it, it, you can search it the same way you can you can find this record and oh, sellouts Jeez. yeah no exactly but <laughs> but but that's the thing like i 
you know, I made up some stupid record label name and I put it on there and it cost me 10 bucks or something. Um, yeah, I know. But I mean, it's just like, I don't know. It just like sort of raises like in a counterintuitive way, it raises like strange questions about like, why are people still making like trash? Like, you know, I, I thought of it because like Casey Musgraves released a Christmas album. Right. And Pitchfork, like, wanted to pretend, like, oh, she's, like, deeper and smarter, you know, and more interesting and creative than, like, your normal country pop artist. We didn't think so when we reviewed that album, but um, then she releases a Christmas album, and it's, like, I'm old enough to remember when that kind of, you know, would deflate mm-hmm. that whole idea that she's, like, anything different. Um, and it's almost like she didn't need to release a Christmas album for any other reason than to make some cash, and that's literally the only motivating factor there and like when i was younger that was considered selling out and generally considered a bad thing so you know i just wonder if you know we we need to lose that and you know people do seem more sympathetic to like people just needing to make a living or something like that but you know i just think about like you know like somebody like lizzo right like her music which in itself is a little bit like already manufactured pop but you know, she she sells her music, or at least her label does. Maybe she has to give it an okay to like Apple commercials, which is like kind of objectively an evil company, mm-hmm. right? So nobody scolds her one for you know selling her music to commercials because that nobody does that anymore. But two, nobody even scolds her for selling it to like using it to promote evil. Well, I think I think that's you know, a bad that, example because like like you said, her music's already sort of like manufactured and and commercialized so it's exactly like when we were younger would be on apple's commercial when we were younger we would say lizzo is not an artist like she is just a commercial like a pop commercial whatever you know product yeah and it's like yeah i get what you're saying like pitchfork and stuff gives it gives it play yeah they want to say no she's an artist as as valuable as anybody else even though she just basically like sells Apple. Well, products. I think that, you know, I mean, maybe that is just a, a product of, of optimism, uh, it, you know, and just, you know, is a byproduct of that, you know, like Pitchfork wouldn't have even listened to, you know, whatever the Lizzo of, of 2004 was, you know, like that, that right, wouldn't even right. make, make the, 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 the page at all. Whereas like now, you know, they review it. Not only do they, re- you know, cause they would do that every now and then just to like really joke on something you know like give it give it a two <laughs> and say how shitty it is or something you know now they they not only review it, they i don't remember what they gave that record but it, you know it was like a decent score you know they like look at it seriously and stuff i i think that is more of a uh a, a optimism uh sort of ailment yeah yeah and optimism i mean a, a big part of it was like questioning the you know frames through which we looked at art and one of those frames was like this kind of authentic authenticity thing that they you know the optimists declared bullshit because you know it was mostly a way to just sort of favor like white rock kids you know mm-hmm. and stuff like that um and there were there were whole genres like pop and hip hop and stuff that had no like qualms with you know selling out quote unquote just wasn't even like a question for them so if you wanted to celebrate that kind of music you kind of had to abandon that you know i just wonder every day if it if it's like worth you know giving up so do you guys think it's a good thing that we've abandoned this idea of selling out completely? I, I like, like I, I sort of alluded to earlier. I don't think we have or should uh, completely abandon it. Uh, like, like I said, I think, I think it's fine. You know, if somebody's 
in a, a movie now or, you know, a commercial for something that's that's fairly benign or something. But but yeah, I mean, if you're you're out there flogging a product that that's, you know, objectively like bad or, or, or something, like I said, you know, you're, you're giving your music to to a. Oh, there was something I I was bitching about the other day. We were watching TV. Some somebody had a. It was a Chase commercial. Oh, I, it was Taylor Swift, like the new Taylor Swift thing. Like you know, just fucking. Not only is her song in it, like she's in, in right. it. You know, like there's several commercials she's doing for Chase. I, I ordered some Amazon stuff, and like the box was the new Taylor Swift record. You know, colored and and everything. Yeah, yeah. Like that is too too much especially i mean she's she's doesn't need the chase money right, the capital right. one whatever it was you know credit card money she's trying to make a living yeah exactly she's like trying to eke out a meager living <laughs> yeah just a meager <laughs> millionaire's living but you know i'm like like if if float on was in was in the new capital one commercial i would i would say you know ooh bit bit too far but you know if it's in the new i mean even if it was in whatever next avengers movie or something fine you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't say anything about it mm. yeah what do you think there have we lost something giving up the idea of selling out uh i mean i don't i don't think so i mean i don't i don't even think i necessarily agree like if i heard float on in like a capital one commercial or whatever i don't think i would find that like real offensive i don't know i feel like music has become you know so much more like of a a communal type of thing in this again this digital era and that it's just you know being on a commercial is just one other way to like be heard um and it's it it feels a whole lot less of like you know man this band's like really desperately trying to get somewhere so they're just gonna sell the rights to their song because like people are paying enough attention where you know you you would be you'd, you'd be you must be really desperate if you're like selling you know, if, if, uh, oh, I don't know, like, I can't really think of a particular band, but if, you know, a band with a real meaningful, uh, stance on politically or whatever it is, just went and like gave their song to like Donald Trump's, uh, campaign or something like that, just because they wanted money or something, you know, like that stuff just, I just don't think is like really going to happen because people care too much and like, yeah. it's too easy for people to, you know, find out about these things and like okay there's i was just happening to google about that nissan commercial that you mentioned and there's some threads from like 2003 when it like came out but dude could you imagine like what that would be like now like with reddit and like all the other you know <laughs> bands have to be very careful and i think they are fairly careful about like not doing something that's just going to totally destroy their image you know what i mean do you, do you not like agree with that in this era well i mean i guess so it just feels like it's it's like hard to destroy your image now, you know, in a financial way. And, you know, I just, I guess like my last point would just be that I, I think that there should be like, we shouldn't give up the idea of selling out, you know, completely. And that like, we should go back to having two categories where there's like art and there's commercial products. And like, it's, that doesn't mean that like art is never on a major label or whatever. There, there's never artistic, um, like major blockbuster films or whatever, but it's just like one thing is like for artistic purposes and the other is to sell a product. And, you know, if we could just have, if we could get that back, but then like subtract the racism and the sexism that used to be part of like the rockist culture, you know, um, wouldn't that be the perfect compromise? Cause I think about stuff like, I don't know, Frank Ocean or like Tyler, the creator or Jay-Z or Beyonce or something like you know, major label artists who you could not say are 
selling out in any way. They're like that classic model of just using a, ma a major platform to do what they want to do. Um, and maybe not everybody has that opportunity. And I guess that's also a good point. But I don't know. I feel like some things are just commercial products and we should stop trying to pretend like they're art. But again, that's Poptimism's fault. Um, but to begin wrapping up, you know, final verdict. Do you think Modest Mouse sold out after all? You talked about it, Darren, how you do think that they simplified their sound. Maybe even an external hand simplified their sound. Looking at this album now, do you have a problem with with that, with them trying to meet, reach the masses in that way? I mean, I do, right? Because I love like the Moon and Anarchy so much, and I feel like the 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 better direction for them to have gone would just ha to have you know explored that sound that experimental style further i mean you, you listed like the beatles we've kind of already talked about like radiohead i mean you could go back to like i don't know like somebody like beethoven or something like as their career as their music you know continued it it seemed to always push boundaries you know uh you know try to push the sound into whatever the next era was going to be or just doing whatever like they really wanted to do you know what i'm saying like um yeah yeah and 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 i feel like modest mouse did the opposite where they were like we're not going to write a concept record or like really you know kind of write poetry and explore you know just you know the inner human uh, struggle or whatever like we're just not going to do that we're going to simplify all of that and try to package like a, a hit record and then the the record that follows that is them doing that successfully because i mean it was you know they had a couple of smash hits off of that as well and mm -hmm. you know that they just and it when when they do that it feels if as a fan i'm like man so like did you not like what happened to how you felt on the moon in antarctica like do you not feel that way anymore you know and Weezer, I guess, is kind of arguably a similar band that like made a decision that we don't want to go in that direction anymore, and for better or for worse, you know, that's kind of how all that panned well, out. But like for oh, worse, yeah, <laughs> oh, well, certainly for worse. But I mean, there's some good like post. Well, if you want to, if you want to know, that. check out our check out our list. We got a we got an episode on that. Yeah, yeah we, we, we covered it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we sure did. But we wouldn't do that for Modest Mouth. I don't think that that would be something we would really entertain. But um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean, yeah. Basically, we got a less good album, and actually, we lost uh, our favorite band since they keep doing the same shit over correct, and over again. Correct. Uh, because of commercial interests or needs. I mean, what is your final verdict on that, Dan? Yeah, I mean, like Darren alluded to, I mean, "We Were Dead" is an awful record. I, I like uh, earlier last year, I, I I read like Johnny Marr's autobiography, and in it he talks about his time in Modest Mouse, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna re-listen to that record. Haven't heard it in so long. I couldn't even make it through the whole thing. It's like legitimately just bad, you know. I mean, like Dashboard was the hit, and it's not an awful song, but it does sort of feel like a um, you know just an attempt at another float on or or something, you know. And then, uh, strangers to ourselves. That the record after that uh, is god fucking awful. It, it's 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 really <laughs> bad. It, it, and, and and so much so, like like I said, I um, 
you know, I, I've seen Mouse Mouse in concert a, a few times. That that show we, you know, you guys talked about. I, I was at. I looked it up. It was a uh, June twenty fourth, two thousand and eight. Um, you know, that was the first yes. time I saw. Him. I saw him a couple times after that. Um, it was always really fun. Even even though you know we were dead, never really. I never really like loved that record. Um, even you know those shows were still still great. Um, and then I saw them like I think it was five or six years ago. They came to a festival uh, around here. Uh, my little sister had never seen them. She wanted to go see them, so I said, "Oh yeah, I, I loved Modest Mouse. They're great live. We'll we'll go." And they they had just turned into like there was a hundred people on stage, and uh, you wow. know it just it was soulless, and you know like Isaac just seemed like he cared more about like getting through it than than you know any anything else and then uh you know they they uh. toured with like uh brand new and um my wife and my sister went to that show i i didn't even bother and and they both felt the same you know like it was just more of that and, mm. and stuff and, and and now they they've they came again recently and it was like two hundred dollars for tickets and and stuff and they're What's selling the out and they're playing Jeez. at a, a at, at like a um, a medium-sized stadium here uh and uh the, a place i saw jay-z perform at actually um you know <laughs> so like they, they've just wow. sort of like become they've become like this legacy act uh that that's somehow yeah. like bigger than they were at the time because even you oh know when God. we saw them in 2008 it's gonna be like was at like a medium-sized venue you know um and yeah they one just, year or two they're gonna be doing like modest mouse plays moon in antarctica oh, in full yep, nope there i i would not <laughs> be shocked and uh i'd think about going i guess <laughs> yeah <it'd> probably <laughs> <be good. laughs> yeah i probably i probably would yeah. <laughs> um yeah you know i think that you know, it, it, it's interesting because when We Were Dead came out, you know, I listened to it quite a bit. And, you know, it's weird because it, at the time, it's hard to tell that like a band has fallen off. You know, I felt that it was that there were a lot of good songs there and stuff. And um, but it just like didn't stick with me. I didn't find myself listen, listening to it compulsively at all. And within a few months, I, you know, sort of looked back and thought that was really not that not a very good album. Um, and then it was like by the time their next one came out, I was it, I had enough distance to know that they I just don't even need to check it out because they're you know I listened to the single and I knew all I needed to know like they're <laughs> they're done, um, you know it's just it's just wild how how it can fall off like that. But in in regard to good news, do you guys think of it as like their final masterpiece or like the beginning of the of the end there? I, it's a, it's a little bit of both. Like I, I like I said, I, I you know I gave it what an eight point six. I, I think it's still a great record, but I, honestly, I think all the records before this are either tens or or maybe or pretty close to it. Um, you know, so it uh, it, it sort of is the last hurrah. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a step back for for the things we said. You know, the, the overproduction uh, at points. I I think the the um, track uh, listing isn't isn't the the best uh, sequencing and, and things. So it's sort of the beginning of the downward trend, but it's it's still at that 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 peak. You know, they're just they've 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 crested the hill, but but the the downward slide of uh you know the the pit of uh strangers to ourselves that isn't they're nowhere near that i don't think <laughs> no i mean i think it's the beginning of of a downward spiral you know i i i there are some songs on here i i really do love i really do like a lot you know and um but you know looking at it from like a a wider perspective 
thinking back in hindsight, again comparing comparing it to the moon in Antarctica, it it just it's such a step down, you know what I mean? And it's an an unfortunate step down um that I didn't even realize probably back when it first came out, but looking at it now it's just like wow, you can and obviously seeing the records that came afterwards it, it makes it so clear that like you know, Moon and Arca was truly their peak, um, and they just never, ever, ever like they. It's like they deliberately chose to never venture down that road again. You know, yeah, they, they yeah. took, they made a decision, they made a turn, and they never looked back. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that I, I, I'm sort of on Dan's side in that I think it's a little bit of both because it does feel like a simplified, more, more accessible version of Modest Mouse. It's almost like it almost feels legacy act ish when you hear those like little you know, pinch, like bendy pinch harmonics that they would do. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're like, Oh, that's like a cute little reference to old modest mouse, you know? And, um, it, but it's, it, it really just sounds like sort of a professional rock outfit. Um, it just so happens that like, they still had the songwriting chops there, which they sort of quickly lost. Um, and yeah, it's almost, um, it's almost bizarre. I want to ask you guys, you know, we didn't uh, we didn't prepare for this, but how how would you guys rank like the major Modest Mouse albums? Like just the albums, not the EPs? Uh you can throw Building Nothing out of something in there if you want. All right. Well, I I think uh I'll start at the bottom then. Uh Strange to Ourselves, uh one of the worst records ever made. Uh I just mean like, you know, you can skip those ones. Okay, yeah. Just, all right. You know, well, but, so good good news would would be the 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 worst of the good ones, I think. Um, you know, uh, then I'd probably put Lonesome Crowded West, uh, wow. building nothing out of something, and the top two would be Moon Antarctica, and uh, this is a long drive at number one. Wow. What about you, Darren? I think that I I think I would do almost the exact same thing, but I I think I would switch this is a long drive, and I actually really like building nothing out of something, but the number one would be the moon antarctica kind of to me by a long shot i i just always really wow. love that album I, I there was like a long stretch where lonesome cry west was my favorite um but listening this week actually i think i, I like the moon in antarctica most um then i would probably put this is a long drive then i might even put building nothing out of something and then lonesome cry west and then good news um but still kind of a fucking incredible um Mm -hmm. run and you know last last question um you mentioned this dan and i think we're all on the same page why why don't we ever (laughs) revisit modest mouse what what is what is up with that i I think it's the same reason i don't revisit a lot of stuff that i like was obsessed with at some point it's just it's just i know it so like well because like even you know i like i said i i probably hadn't listened to this record in at least you know four or five years or something and i still just like know every word i i I kind of like still remember you know how the the music of all the songs go you know it's like there just sort of gets to a point with with a lot of records that i just know them so well you know it's like i can almost just play it in my head i don't really need to like listen to the record and uh you know it's it's not really a slight i mean there's plenty of records i would say i i you know, if you ask me, I would say I love them, but I haven't listened to it in, in yeah, forever be- yeah. because of that that reason. And and Modest Mouse is that. It, I mean, basically anything that like at some point, um, like in high school or something, was my favorite band. That means I 
you know, That's in true. a pre-Spotify world, it means like I listen to their four records, you know, over and over and over and over for months and months, you know, at a time. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really get a chance to <clears throat> talk too much about this, I guess, but I, I mentioned early on about drawing comparisons between Modest Mouse and maybe some of the other bands that I were, was listening to in those early high school years that grew up with me, that I, I took with me out of high school, right? Um, there was, you know, I, w- I would say Tool, similar to Modest Mouse, kind of stayed in that area and didn't really grow up with me, right? But like, you know... Right. Radiohead certainly did and Nirvana I kind of you know yeah albums like In Utero I definitely came back to over the years and I I try to think like why like what was different about those records and how did I connect with them personally and I I don't know it's just maybe it's like a a matter of like discovery right because like when you come back to a record like In Rainbows which is what 2007 three years after Good News like I still love that record. I could listen to it right now. You know what I mean? And and I would probably just adore it from this, from start to finish, maybe even discover something I just hadn't even considered. Um, maybe certain albums like that, just they have like a, a certain density or they're just adaptable to different phases of your life. Whereas modest mouse for me personally, just kind of sits in this specific time period of my life and it's and i don't know if it's like the lyrics the themes i I think it is kind of the themes honestly like the things that you know even the record like the moon and arca which i love it it, i don't necessarily put it on as often as i put on like in rainbows you know what i mean um Uh because you have to sort of be in a certain headspace i feel like with the moon and arnica whereas something like in rainbows i could be in a multitude of different uh, emotions or feelings or moments in life. And I, I don't know, I, it's kind of, I'm having a hard time explaining it, but what I'm trying to say is I, I just, it didn't grow with me. Modest Mouse in general just didn't grow with me. Whereas other bands listen, that I was listening to at the same time definitely did. And I don't know if it's like a timeless thing or what, but I yeah, know. I mean, I guess like beyond even just my personal life, you know, Modest Mouse had the misfortune of being one of the defining bands of their era um in actually two ways one what we've been talking about today that they're one of the you know good news is one of the defining albums of the indie crossover point i think they really kicked the door open for acts like mgmt and arcade fire and tv on the radio and stuff to like get popular um but they also their early work defines like 90s indie rock in a lot of ways you know um it's like it's just everything that that became you know that they, they really ushered in the era that they then like sort of succumbed to a little bit um you know those like kind of dancier songs like on you know lounge um and stuff like that you know what i mean um on lonesome crowd west it's like there there's the dancey disco punk that uh Franz Ferdinand would eventually, you know, take, mm-hmm. and it's it's too bad that Modest Mouse themselves sound kind of like faded into their era in that point. But even in the '90s, it's like I just have I have a hard time like separating them from that era to where they don't have like the timeless quality that I think other acts do. And maybe that's just because they were so fucking good at what they did for such a long time. Yeah, I I I agree. I mean, you know, sometimes like in a movie or something, you know, something something's really cool but then you know it it becomes cliche because everyone steals it um and like i I feel like modest mouse like is sort of that you know like like a a lot of those bands you mentioned like 
sort of got their their bag of tricks from from modest mouse you know all right well i guess that's enough for this week so uh what do you think we'd love to read your thoughts on the air you can email us popshieldpod at gmail.com next episode uh we think we're gonna do ornette coleman's free jazz versus john coltrane's ascension uh which should be a a (laughs) ton of fun um, one for the people, and then one for us that nobody actually wants to listen to. <laughs> exactly. Just yeah, uh, taking the complete like left turn here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you love Modest Mouse, you'll love <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ornette Coleman. Uh, so if you like the show, help us out by subscribing. Leave us a five-star uh, review wherever you get your podcast. You can stay, stay connected. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that is at Pop Shield Pod, And we'll see you in two weeks. See ya. So long.